Welcome to the Busy Being Born podcast with your hosts Kamande and Kigondo. Hello. <laughs> Kelele tu. Kelele. How are you doing man? Salama sana. Mm, we are on episode 17. Karibuni sana. Thank you for staying with us thus far. If this is your first episode, karibu sana. We hope that whenever you're listening, you can always go back to episode one. And you go back to episode 100. For sure. Yeah. Hey, I like that. Hey. And oh yeah, so just this morning we decided to to keep going uh, we with the numbers nini nini but we'll also split it up in uh, seasons so we're excited for that uh, each season will go for around 21 episodes so we are about to be done with our first season within the next four five well, guests yeah yeah uh, so let's keep going thank you so so much let's journey together today whatever you're doing uh, we are glad to have you Absolutely. Um thank you for keeping us company. Um this episode is brought to you by Funky Science. Funky Science is an education technology company striving to ensure that kinesthetic learning is incorporated into cognitive learning at a young age through creative experimentation. Funky Science delivers creative science experiments via online classes, camps, clubs, and events with the aim of encouraging students to love and practice science. The direct beneficiaries of Funky Science are school-going children of ages between 5 and 13. The experiments are interactive and encourage children to talk all sorts to ask all sorts of questions about science and also to participate in a wide variety of experiments. Through these experiments, they teach children the value of science in their daily lives and that science is not only manageable but very easy and most importantly fun. Um the f- experiments are tailored towards providing children with the necessary information and interest that they will require to pursue science based careers later in their lives. The experiments are simple and use common material that everyone can ad- identify with and is available within households. And introducing the Funky Science Science Kit. Funky Science has incorporated the learning aspects into their novel Science Kits. These kits helps children discover new lessons and amazing adventures. Each kit has experiment flashcards to guide the child with step-by-step instructions on how to conduct each experiment they um they have content that is fun relevant and aligns with educational curricula um and develops an in- innovative spirit in the learners by using regular everyday tools funky science working towards inspiring the next generation of scientists and if you by any chance you have a kid who's between 5 and 13 um you can visit them um on their pages everywhere funky science that is f u n k e s c i e n c e and you can when if you're purchasing a science kit um you can use the code triple b that's b b b and you'll get a discount for that BBB. Fantastic. I like that. Yeah. BBB for busy being born. For busy being you born. Know. Yeah. Sante sana. Thank you so much Funky Science Maze. Um we have a guest. We have a guest. We have a guest. Oh, we have a guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so question. Are they brilliant? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> Quite brilliant. Uh, uh-huh. Are they representing the motherland? Guy Maze. Mm. Uh they're definitely doing that. Uh, this is the, one of the only reasons we'd have them here and are they busy being born for sure tell yeah. us more busy being born ladies yeah. and gentlemen we are honored to have with us a brilliant fine artist uh definitely fine artist um ladies and gents our guest today is 
Like I've said, a fine artist, an illustrator, and a brand manager with an impressive background in travel and marketing. Working with, and I'll tell you some of the things he's used to do his uh, works, acrylics, ink, charcoal, pastels, graphite, to even wire sculpting and uh, more in the making of his outstanding works, the gifted artist stands tall with ears at his craft, training in graphics design and a background in advertising. His work is in private collections across the globe and also in institutions uh, like locally institutions such as USIU and CBA uh, who are part of his clientele. Our guest today has had his work marveled at marveled. <laughs> in exhibitions uh, and spaces such as the Kuona Trust, Sankara, the UN headquarters, Concord Elegance, among other spaces over the years in both solo and joint exhibitions. He has an impressive resume as a destination marketer, even holding a marketing manager position with the Heritage Hotels at a point in his journey, and is a great proponent for local tourism. His interests range from visual art to communication, teaching to even photography, and so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are honored to have the multi-dimensional artist, and this is what we'll call him, the brand whisperer. Yeah, join us today <laughs> and we celebrate him and uh, pick lessons from his journey as a creative, a manager, a family man, and so much more. Ladies and gents, we give you the one and only Davy Karaoke. Welcome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I almost do not recognize a lot of all those, uh, <laughs> all those things. Um, yeah, definitely you. Is it that you never take a step back to just look at your journey and marvel? at all the things that you've achieved? I don't know whether they are achievements. I don't know. What, um, You're just doing life. Yeah, um, just doing life, yeah. The, uh, in fact, that's the best way to look at it. Like every day is a different immersion. So you never see it as a feather in the cup. It's just a journey. Yeah. And I've a really enjoyable journey at that. Um, e I think once one day, one day when I'm old enough, I'm, I'm still not yet old enough. But when I'm grown up and uh, past the youthful age, I'll, I'll look back and think out, you know, all those things that I've been able to do. But right now, they're not yet enough. Yeah, yeah, hey. yeah. Wow, man, um, we're hey. so happy to have you here, and, and we're looking forward to the stories. Thank you, thank um, you for having me. Where should we start? Um, um, 1997. You want to start like can from I, uh, back in the day? Can I start there? <laughs> let's just give it first. Um, was a, let's warm it up, Kidogo. Okay. <laughs> so we'll first of all say we've been talking for the last kiddo one hour. Yeah, yeah. He came in early, like the professional he is, uh, and he's been chatting up with the whole team around here from Abu to Maria to Kamande and myself. So it's been really dope getting to know him. Myself, Mili Patakumjua, not so long ago, mm -hmm. earlier in the month, and I had one dope conversation with him, mm -hmm. and I think I called you like the next day. Niko, I think I know who will have, <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed, but Nilikuwa, ah, I Nilikuwa na chorea kupiga story for a while because mm -hmm. Nilikuwa, ah man, I, I really want to enjoy yeah. sitting and vibing with this guy when the time comes, so I'm super glad we finally are doing this. Where did you guys meet? Uh, we met at the go down, yeah. Uh, big up go down. Najua wata watakuwa naanza ku fundraise again because they're still trying to build the vision that they have. So yes, go down because I know Joy and Kathy and anyone affiliated to the space is listening to this. Eh, call us in. Tutaweza kuwa plug alafu tutakuwa 
mtakuwa sponsors <laughs> so that's why we met yeah. and not because I'm a visual artist by myself but it's cause this is one of the spaces that has the biggest hearts when it comes to understanding artists mm-hmm. yeah so the week the week before and I'm not trying to diss them I popped in by the national theater for I was trying to arrange some space and this guys the space was cold mm-hmm. let me not even say the people within the space was just cold but the go down is very warm yeah but guess what today's episode is not about my experience mm-hmm. as an artist it's about <laughs> our guest yeah maybe. so maybe even before we jump into uh, uh, throwing uh, throwing it back let's start there are there artistic spaces that you are affiliated to that you feel this for me has always been home and i create the most when i'm here and this is even before finding your own space uh, as a studio um so <clears throat> the the one space that i have always felt like was home was corona trust and this is because um in 1998 97 98 when I was still in college uh Corner Trust was based at the muse- museum national museum uh just down the road and it was an incubation for up and coming artists and uh younger professional artists who had just started their careers and it sort of gave them um a standing to um professionalize their craft and enter the uh, professional art scene as a finished uh product and you you would come in as a painter as a designer as a sculptor and you would meet peers who with whom you would share knowledge uh, share your journeys and um f- because it came about when i was just entering the professional space it was what i felt was home mm. um yeah so corner trust has been one of the best places for me um the godown has been like where i was quite a number of my friends have had their studios so i've always been welcome to the godown um some of the people who are even running corner trust also uh, were part of the uh, management at uh, the godown so it, it's always also felt like a welcome space but as an artist as a, a designer as a creative i've always preferred working from my own studio um i'm not the kind of artist that is comfortable working you know when surrounded by people mm. i <clears throat> come out every once in a while to to share in the energy and to get that creative juice but uh, by and large i prefer working in my own space okay yeah. okay Um, we mentioned 1998 there we right, go there we go there we go that's um, our entry yeah that's our entry <laughs> well done um one of your earlier paintings aluta continua um oils and acrylics on canvas in 2000 right that's i think when you showcased it finally mm. um all the subjects were killed for something they stood for mm. um the little boy with his fast um, with his fist in the air is samora biko mm. the living link and connection to the title aluta continua mm. um and and reading and looking at some of your work uh, th- there seems to be a consistent theme and one of the things we were talking about um, is that um, a lot of them are africans hmm. and and seems like it's a hallmark of some of your work um, at what point did you make that decision um, if a conscious decision at all um, and and how have you managed to carry it on all these many years later my artistic journey started way back huh? When I was in class 6 in 
I was in Mountain View School and my art teacher then made us, you know, like this was the first time I'd, I'd moved from a public school to a private school. And this was the first time that I got the chance to do anything creative per se. So we were made to buy paints and, you know, the big drawing book and all that. And we were told to, you know, I remember, I always remember my first painting and it was um, a combination of two subjects that I really loved. So I painted the cover of um, my history book. The title of that book was Kenya's People in the Past. It's a painting of uh, like a Turkana family migrating and they have this donkey with their stuff tied in the back. It could either be Turkana or Rendile, but it's definitely one of those Northern Kenyan tribes. Mm -hmm. And that was one, one of my most precious like paintings. Um, and that really got me into the creative uh, juice. Like that's when it came out. And why I said combination of two subjects, I really loved history. Like, I, I do not know. I, I see people complaining about dates and remembering things and stuff like that, and they just laugh because for me it comes very naturally. One big reason, my father was very passionate about history, and our house had very many autobiographies lying around. Like, his library was impressive with that type of books. And, you know, like right now I'm really looking at a book, uh, Franz Fanon, um, it's tough that, you know, it has a stamp for 1974 and, you know, it's this yellowed book. I don't even know. It might be in my bag. But yeah, it's a kind of stuff like I was reading about Biko and Mandela and Jomo Kenyatta when I was in class seven, class eight, you know. I was, I was already looking at those autobiographies when I was really, really young. And I remember doing a Jomo Kenyatta portrait when I was in Form 1 and this thing like was a bug which caught on and drawing and working with historical figures became a part of me. Like they were the major go-to uh, source of inspiration. I'll give you an interesting story. So because of when um, we were growing up and there were no comps and all that, um, when I went to college, there were no computers. We had to, like we were doing everything by hand. Mm. So if I was designing a poster, if I was designing a label like this, every single thing you look at on this was hand. Out a bottle. Everything, like I would paint the bottle and the label, everything by hand, even the fonts. So we were learning computers as a side thing. It was not being taught in the same college. It was a side thing. So you'd leave, you'd either come to school very early, like in my case, I would come to town very early I'd be in town by 6.30. I'd go to, um, I, what were we calling them? Um, Computer lab. No, 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 no. It wasn't a lab. You're giving it a fancy name. <laughs> uh, it was a college in, in, in uh, downtown. and uh, uh, ICDL. Yeah, yeah, one of those. So you'd, you'd do those two-week courses mm. and you'd get a certificate that you've studied. And yeah. basically, you just know how to switch on the comp. You can play with the mouse a bit, and, <laughs> you know. Those guys are happy to have your 5K and, you, you know, you, you've been given a, a certificate. So basically you had to learn the hard way. Now, after I finished college, um, I did design, but I was really interested in fine art. 
so I had started painting on the side uh, in my free time, like when I, whenever I left school or, you know, weekends and all that. And at night, for me to get my subjects, if I wanted to do a portrait, like now that particular one you're talking about, I had to go, because this was pre-Google, mm-hmm. we were only going on Yahoo to send emails and, you know, stuff like that. Was there a browser? Mosaic, maybe? I don't know. Uh, Internet Explorer. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> there were two. Yeah. Netscape. Netscape, yes. Netscape. That's uh, yeah. I would go to the Nation Library. Nation Media Group. Yes. Mm-hmm. They had an impressive library. So I would spend my hours. So like, that was our Google. I'd go to the Nation Library and spend hours on end looking at like, so if I wanted um, portraits of Mandela, I'd go to the library, tell the librarian, please give me like, you know, whatever you have on Mandela. So he would get me cutouts, lots and lots of cutouts of like whatever they've uh, featured a subject. And then you'd look at what what uh, picture you interests you. You would request for it. They would either photocopy it or give you a printout of an original. So that's how we used to get images back then. <laughs> so I could spend a whole afternoon in the Nation Media Library mm-hmm. just looking at images. And the good thing with it is that the image had a caption. So it's what has been, however it was featured in the press, the bottom bit of whatever the article was still relevant. Or the whole article would have would be still intact. So over time, even in my research, I would learn a lot more about the subjects that I'm trying to mm-hmm. work on because the article is still there. So I'm still like the stuff that John Kamau and uh, Kamau Godo are giving us right now is knowledge that I would be getting from their library because of, you know, just spending hours on end there. So between the Nation Media Library and the National Archives, that's where I would get my images from. So... I'd say the earlier pieces that I did between 1997 and the year 2001, my images was coming from there. It was a really uh, interesting time to be alive. So yes, all this was fueling like my interest in my subjects Mm -hmm. because I also learned that we were not celebrating our heroes enough. You would not get like, even when I looked at the artists who were there older than me, older than us, older than our generation, like our parents' generation, the first generation of Kenyan artists, none of them was doing portraiture. None of them was doing realistic art that covered the artists. I mean, covered the subjects of our continent. And even up to today, very few people, you see a lot of people doing contemporary art that does not celebrate artists, mm-hmm. uh, Kenyan, I mean Africans. Very few. Interesting. That's And that's why, you know, same idea about busy being born. Yeah. It's about being, spotlighting African excellence because we feel um, the same thing has been neglected on this other side of hearing stories such as yours. This is true. This is very true. Um, it happens that, uh, well, with time after that season, you now jump into the music uh, artists and influences that uh, have sort of uh, journeyed with you. Um, for you as a listener. But before we get there, I'd like to still underline something from where you, or at least I'm curious about it. So later, this is, I guess, around 2016, you wrote many images that surface online and offline of Kenyan freedom fighter, Field Marshal Dedan Kemathi Washiori, have, uh, have him in captivity, looking shackled and resigned. I wanted to correct that. 
in this uh well then you go ahead to talk about that particular painting so is there a fascination that you have around this man deden and uh, the freedom fighters at that because you also have uh the field marshal what was the lady's name mudoni mudoni mm-hmm. there you go mm-hmm. you also have that as well uh we later go on to see you uh, do wangare madai a couple of times but let's talk about that mau mau season is it the same i'm sure it's taught, uh, is definitely attached to the research you've done but I don't know from me from from outside looking in I see a lot of interest and excitement uh with that as a subject is this true one of the biggest sources of inspiration for my art is celebrating the human spirit rarely do you ever get to see freedom fighters getting celebrated or enjoying the fruits of their labor even your wangari madais of this world they give a lot for the 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 bigger good and very few of them ever come to see it dead and kimati for me is a symbol and it's less him as a human being and him as a symbol of sacrifice somebody who sees a bigger picture somebody who looks at a greater good what they are willing to give to achieve it and then you know the conundrum of the what human humanity uh is all about you will do all that and still die a pauper you'll do all that and um lose it all that's why you know right now the 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 millennial and gener- generation z are said to be you know they're comfortable shouting online because part of it is that they learn they've seen the fallacy of what the older generations have given up and what they they you know they've lost when you look at the nigerians going on the streets right now they've been clobbered they tried so the younger generation they've gone they've been clobbered emsas uh, yes mm-hmm. and and are they willing to do it you know yeah the 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 freedom fighters of that generation because the few leaders that went to fight for freedom if you look at the entire continent you know from algeria to senegal to egypt to eritrea does the founding father the person who takes the reins after you know getting whichever colonial master yeah out of uh, you know out of the way do they do they stand up to expectations do they do they uh, can you hold a candle uh, and say look after all they said and done this person was an awesome leader and we you know it's such a sad thing that we've lost them or do they fall into the shenanigans of you know neo colonialism and mm. whatever comes into play so for me Dedan Kimathi is is inspiring in many ways he was a teacher he was a learned guy and he reminds me of somebody like uh Samora Marshall he was a teacher he was uh, above average compared to his generation he later came to see the fallacy of what they were being taught what they were being told to do the yeah. indoctrination yes mm-hmm. and that's why he was willing to fight against it and by going against it he also lost and he lost quite a bit you know that's why that character is such a big narrative of literature all over the world that 
type person always ends up on the losing side. I'm a big fan of uh, Shaka Zulu, the long docu, uh, whatever the series, uh, the movie. The more recent one, uh, the one from back in the day. The one from back in the day. Boom, 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 boom. Yes, boom. that particular <laughs> one. I've watched that thing, I yeah. think, a million times. And the last thing that he says when he's killed by his brother is that the swallows have won. His dying words are the swallows have won. It's, it's, such a, it's such a poignant saying for me because you come to realize that you're fighting against something that is much greater than you. And yeah, you, you always end up asking yourself these tough questions. Mm. What was it for? Was it worth was it? it was it worth it? Oh, man. That, that has taken me to places uh, I haven't been in a while. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I've just remembered, uh, spoiler alert, but it's, it's history. Shaka dies. And I remember how I felt watching that <laughs> back in the day. I, I broke down, Maze. Mm-hmm. I remember this. This was a cold Thursday evening. I don't remember a day. But, yeah, in <laughs> 1997. That's mm-hmm. when I watched it, and mm-hmm. it broke my heart. I was mm-hmm. shattered. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Were you watching DVD or CD? Uh, no, it was... Uh, it was on TV. Mm-hmm. KTN would do reruns. Mm-hmm. Eh, that's when I watched it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, speaking of education and teachers, mm. you've just said something that sparked uh, something I read not so long ago. James Baldwin, yeah? He said, the paradox of education is precisely this, that as one begins to become conscious, one begins to examine the society in which he is being educated. And this definitely sounds like the... The, the story of Kimadis. Uh, mm. um, let's build on the founding fathers of all these nations. Is there one besides Samora that you feel this guy went in the right direction? Because locally, we'd put a lot of questions on like the first presidency, Yama, the first government. And it is clear that even among themselves, a few felt, ah, ah. so the Kagiyas, the Ogingas were like, maybe this is not what we promised the people to do. Uh, in Zimbabwe, we saw at least for the first five, ten years, the first presidency went on quite okay. For Uganda, it's totally different. Are there others that you feel, okay, that guy, history now judges them, right? And I totally salute that person. If this at all interests you, which I wouldn't be surprised it does, if it does. The, the, first, the first president of Botswana, Seretse, what's his name? You could check that out. Yeah. Those Ian Kama and Sereste Mats had name. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Mandela was very clever with politics. He balanced politics and a bit of economic uh, growth, but even him, he knew when to leave. And he was very clever. You, you look at South Africa and nobody has left on their own volition. Uh, we don't know whether the current president will go through the same way, but yeah, story for another day. Which other founding father? Uh, what Leopold, do you think of Nkrumah? Nkrumah is one of the few, and he had a great vision, but imperialism was one of the things that he was fighting against. For sure. Uh, Nkrumah and PLO were just against a bigger juggernaut. And, mm. and fortunately for them, they had to lose out. Uh, the, the, the Botswana guy is Seretse, you're right. Seretse. Seretse Kama. Kama. Mm. Okay, okay. We've seen a couple of paintings of Mandela. Mm. Have any other founding fathers made it to your canvas besides Kenyatta? No. Okay. Actually, no. And what about the current breed, if we may call them that? Is there a guy you're like, this guy is doing right by the African man? 
No. Okay. What do you feel is lacking? They don't have a strong conviction about their people and their vision is not clear. They don't see the future of their nations in the bigger space. So it's usually very short-sighted, you know, five-year, ten-year period. Maybe Kagame, he's really changed Rwanda and I've been lucky enough to visit the country and even visit the genocide muse- uh, museum and yeah it's probably one of a few to have somebody with that vision and who thinks about their people like is willing to die for their people because what they believe in they jealously guard what sankara was you do not have that unfortunately you do not have that somebody who's willing to die for their people and say mbaya mbaya mm. you know a bit a bit of what magufuli started with until he became the despot that he became somebody who's just willing to put his nation fast and say for the good of my people and i think isaias for work he has has that uh sadly enough you know he is where he is and his country has a poor development record maybe because of all the who's this again president of uh, eritrea of eritrea huh? somebody who has who is so convinced that his country comes first meles zenawi had that and that's why ethiopia grew for the period when he was a prime minister like you're so convinced about the greater good of your country and nothing is going to come in between that bigger picture and your you know your drive to achieve it nah that I don't see anyone at the None moment of the current crop. No. Are, are okay. you hopeful? Are you hopeful that uh, based on how much you've looked into history and around these leaders, um, do you have a shred of hope even if a little um that maybe at some point there will be a leader um um somewhere in one of these countries in Africa um that might have that much conviction or um none at all? It saddens me to look at somebody like uh Opong Jojoer. He's somebody we feel is of our generation and you know would have had a major opportunity to take Liberia forward. I don't know whether he's gotten you know politics has become sweet and he's gotten uh <laughs> you know the power has entered into his mind his head and um uh, or politics has sidetracked because even sometimes for you to to put your foot down you step on quite a number of people and some of them can be wealthy and influential you know people will have backers outside of the country who are willing to pay to cause a little unrest and your vision now gets sidetracked by fighting all these fires on the side yeah so um yeah i mean that's usually one of the biggest and and sometimes you feel for leaders who mean well for their countries and then get sidetracked because of all these fires and i think that's what plo went through uh in 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 congo probably botswana still has people with the right heads i think botswana is one country that is still well you know like for a small population as they they are they still you know you, you never hear any fires there the only place that impresses me despite all the you know negative press and nini is rwanda um i always feel kagame has a very good head on his shoulders if we could get a few more like him mm-hmm. and you know uh, ethiopia had that major opportunity until they got sidetracked um 
I might not be painting some African leader in any time soon you'll just be seeing Mandela and Wangare uh, <laughs> <laughs> Madai yeah, until until I die. <laughs> yeah. You don't get into music so um, yes, you can you can I could segue us. into that. Yeah. Okay. Um I so besides the by the way, for those who are listening or oh, well clearly you're listening to this uh, sorry we got excited about uh, being history buffs over here but then again not sorry we all need to know these things and you yeah. uh, let's get into the music side you've also gone on to 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 paint like really phenomenal phenomenal artists performing artists we've seen the likes of um Zeo Juang Maya Angelo, Papa Wemba, Mandela, Felakuti, John Legend, Jill Scott, Miriam Makeba, Lauren Hill, you Masakela, and so many more. How influential is music to you as a person even before it gets into your uh, artistry? I think I live life with a bit. So <laughs> one of the many things you never mentioned is that I'm a closet DJ. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. This we didn't know. I at least didn't know this. Nicole. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, I am a DJ. Well, yeah. I, I say closet because I never play for audiences. Yeah. yeah. But I'm a DJ. I love mixing music and I live with music. And I think one of the best things about music is for me as a human being, it's always been like I can hear a song and it takes me back to a point in time. And for me that as an emotion is connecting with that point in time like i listen to donna sama and conditional love and i can see myself in nairobi karibangi south in 1983 or 84 when i was a small kid um like music takes me back in time or you know i can listen to franklin bukaka and uh uh um what is that song called uh Africa, Africa. Yeah. yeah, that song. So you, 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 liberté or something like that. And um, you, 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 music you take takes you. Yeah, <laughs> music <laughs> takes you to a point in time. You connect with a certain emotion. You know, somebody passes away, and you're singing a, a spiritual song, and you can remember the last time you sang it because somebody precious to you passed on and you connect to you know something deep within you i like that about music and whenever i am painting especially when i'm painting certain subjects i'm listening to their music if it's a musician if i'm doing a fela piece then you can bet like i'm on fela back to back that's the energy that i'm getting from you know him to produce the artwork um if i'm doing um you know a gen legend or if i'm doing a, a bob marley you can bet i'm on that blasting on my ears or in the yeah, studio man. yeah yeah, yeah. Man. i'm on that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so i love that about music yeah whether it's jazz i do a lot of jazz pieces as well it's just that emotion and it's because music I, i i don't know how many people do not like music but music just always resonates with it, almost every human being it's always played a part of my day to day life and i like how i connect it to i listen to lauren hill and i can see myself in 1997 listening to uh, fugees. the fugees and i can see myself going to the club you know i can see that happy time when i was just finishing college or going on a date with my 
you know, girlfriend at the time or, you know, there's so much you can connect to that. And that's what I love about music. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it end up sipping into the canvas? Just the same way. I mean, you, you get inspired to want to record. So somebody, I will paint something and um, somebody will come and see it and it will resonate with them. They'll connect to it and they'll be like, yeah, man. This is a guy with his pot and whatever, but he can see himself going for a jump session and listening to hip hop. But now he's a Zix, he's now, you know, in suits and stuff, but he can see himself in a moment in time when he was younger, happier, happy-go-lucky and all that. Yeah. So for me, I am able to sort of connect these two. Um, the emotion that I get when I'm doing the piece to the person seeing it and wanting it. Even the colors that you use will make somebody feel a certain type of way, you know. Uh, I've done some pieces in charcoal, um, like jazz pieces in charcoal, which quite a number, like uh, collected at uh, uh, PwC. The way they've been put up in that space, you come into that office and it makes you feel a certain type of way. Like I, I, I remember I had a show there in 20... 2013, 2015, and like there was a certain jazz piece they saw, which the colors and uh, you know the subject resonated with their colors. It was a lady with uh, a donated shades of uh, purple and orange, and you know PwC saw it and they were happy because it also made them happy and they loved. It could fit in a certain space in their office. It had colors that go with their brand colors. Mm. So, you know, that emotional connection you see in a piece makes you want you to acquire it because, yeah, it fits. You feel, you just look at it and it fits and you you want it. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that you mentioned that I want to go back to is your college days and, and you sort of um, studying computer on the side. At this point... Um, it was slowly creeping in from a distance, computerization of everything and software. Um, and then eventually, um, I could be wrong, but even in art, it's it's part of it is I feel like it's a fundamental piece of art, right? Um, how 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 did you get yourself to a place where um, you now became more comfortable with computers? Um, and and to this date, because now I assume you're not going to <laughs> the nation media library mm. anymore. How yeah. have you been able to um, leverage on technology into your art, if at all? This is a point where I give a major shout out to somebody very important to me in my life. My mom has been very supportive in my journey. I was brought up in my whole uh, my whole adult adult life. My dad passed away like two days before I did my KCSE. And immediately after that, I started, uh, after KCPE, I started college. And my mom was very supportive in everything that I wanted to do. Which college um, was this? I went, first I went to SPS. Um, I was studying uh, programming. SPS? Yes. It, it's, it, SPS became KSPS. It became... Oh, Kenya School of Professional Studies. Yes. Uh, Back Marie, in the School yeah. of Professional Studies. Yes, <laughs> back then it was uh, SPS. And then uh, I dropped out of that because programming was not what, you know, I was interested in. So I switched very quickly to doing uh, design. So in 1997, 
studied uh, graphics. I did a diploma in graphics. My mom bought me a computer immediately I graduated. So I had a computer and then she also built me a small studio space in the house, like about this big. I had time to now immerse myself and, you know, practice all these things that I had studied and I could play with a computer and I could do, you know, all these things on the side. But I, it, I mentioned, I left college in 98 and concentrated fully in fine art. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get back into design. I was only doing small stuff on the side. I didn't get back into design until around 2004, Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that. I joined Corner Trust. So I would paint from home, but I would come a lot to <coughs> hang out, chill with the artists who were there and all that. The person who was running Corner Trust at that time, uh, got through, through a bone at uh, my way, like somebody came up and they had heard that this space had different artists and they were looking for an illustrator. Now, because of the type of art that I was doing, which was different from what other people were doing, the person running Corner Trust at the time thought I would be a good fit to do illustrations. So they gave me a contact and told me, call this person. Um, they're looking for an illustrator. Now, I had never done this. This was, I think, uh, Longhorn Publishers. I think it was Longhorn Publishers. So I went to Longhorn and I was given a brief and I started doing illustrations for school books. So I did this between 1999 to 2003, 2004. Was, was it a steep learning curve? Sorry. Uh, Very. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I remember struggling with my first uh, illustrations, uh, doing, um, you know, proportions, proportions of kids. Kids are very weird compared to uh, grown-ups. Mm-hmm. So I remember struggling, like trying to get the right dimensions for kids' bodies and all that, because <laughs> kids' bodies are just funny. They're not how adult bodies are. So yeah, it was a steep learning curve, and this is a job. So it's, you, it's not somebody telling you, Jaribu, yeah, you've been <laughs> given a brief with an LPO, come, we need this in the next two weeks. Deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, deliver, get paid, nini. So, and, and at this point, what are you using to illustrate? Is it like new software that you have to learn? No, 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 by hand. By, oh. by hand. This is not computerized, it's by hand. <laughs> by hand. So this is something totally different. Huh? Yeah. Uh, it's not something that I've studied in school. Yes, I could draw, but this is what I'm doing on the, pro- this is big, this is professional and I'm going to provide it. Somebody is going to scan it high resolution and then place it in a book and, you know. Uh, and you cannot do it for, 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 for inspiration? No, 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 no. <laughs> so I remember one time, <laughs> that process i remember one time i was doing some work for one of the bigger publishers and had a crazy uh deadline this was a sunday i have a little cash i used to i mean the the money was good the money was good and very young uh your age and Maria's money, age. Yeah, so, yeah not our age yeah uh, <laughs> earning some really good money not paying bills uh, i mean i would do shopping but you know, I'm not paying rent or anything. So, and it's a Sunday. So my friend and I have gone out to one of the nice places in Westie. I think it was K1 or somewhere. And I have a good 
serious hangover and then um my editor calls me monday morning and i'm telling him that i'm sick like he wants me to give him what i've worked on over the weekend so you because of the tight deadlines they would want you to give a batch of what you've worked on every other day so he calls me and i tell him i am sick uh had food poisoning or whatever and he says um he does not care whether i am dead or not even if i'm in hospital <laughs> he needs his work <laughs> and i was like uh chief i had to call myself in kamkutano uh we cannot we can't live like this yeah we have to put some discipline in this work because he actually sent a driver he asked me for directions like i want what you've done so i'm sending a driver so this guy had to come and get some work so i had to walk through my hangi and get some work done luckily um you know like i think i had seen him either saturday morning or friday So I had a bit of work so by the time the driver was coming like Monday afternoon I had a bit of work but nilijita mkutano nikasema boss no 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 kazi kisha tutafanya nini tutafanya sherehe si taska badala ya kazi yeah badala ya kazi because if hangi didn't get the proportions wrong you can't work you know I'm an early morning person so because I had a studio at home I would either work late into the night or early in the morning. And early in the morning I'm like 5:30 in the morning I'm in the studio of brewed coffee and my studio luckily was behind the kitchen. Like kitchen back door I, I'm in the studio. So I'd wake up, put on coffee, then start working. So by 6 a.m. when my pals are waking up, those days there were no smartphones, I'd be either sending emails, dial up or by the time they get into the office they're seeing emails that I was sending at 5:30 in the morning, you know. There's no social media or mm-hmm. anything so it would you'd be sending like a chain email to yeah. pals yeah mm-hmm. um I was very up up very early in the mornings and the good thing with that is that I would get a lot of work done by the end of day you know um by lunch time I've done a whole batch of things and because I got into a system where I could draw all of them very quickly uh dash to the editor show them if they've any changes they tell you what to change and then come back ink them outline take them back uh finish the job get paid get another order mm-hmm. and it's it's a good thing because you would get a book you'd get like those seasons because there, there are books for um, they are revising in syllabuses syllabi and you'd get uh orders for different books depending on how fast you can work um I was lucky enough that in that 3-4 year period I worked with like three of the biggest publishers in the country. I got very good at doing that. I mean at the illustrating bit of things. So I worked with Longhorn, I worked with Oxford, I worked with Kenya Literature Bureau. Those are like the best publishers at that time. So yeah, I mean um I'm lucky like even my kids have have studied with books that I illustrated oh, they, wow. they, they they go to school and they are happy to, to show them any oh my daddy mm-hmm. um yeah it's 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 such a fulfilling journey and yeah what are some of the lessons from that transition from um Kuona trust um and and getting into longhorn and you know you've mentioned a few about um, you know tasker bad kazi 
um, you know, but what are some of the lessons that you've carried with you um, from that, um, that transition, yeah, from that season? One of the biggest things I think is uh, networking. I've told you I'm a studio artist and I work from my own private space. But if people did not know about my craft and my work, I would not be getting into these new jobs and, you know, being able to just leave your space and going out to the other professional spaces and letting people know who you are, letting people know what you do, what you're good at, what your craft is, networking and just, you know, interacting with people. Uh, that's very, very big. Um, secondly, it's professionalism. I earned a lot of money when I was very young and because... I became good at what I was doing at that time and I didn't take it for granted. I was working really fast. Uh, I was giving good quality work. Um, and yeah, I mean, because in, 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 a, in a publishing season, I could get about three to five books in a season. And you're talking about doing... 50 to 70, 80 illustrations in a period of about three weeks. Mm. So you have to push yourself to do three to five illustrations a day to sort of be able to cover that. Yeah. And that can be, the illustration can be like very detailed. You you know, you you can be having like a, an illustration of several school kids in a parade or in a class and yeah. a football hey. match. And that thing can really take it. It actually takes you on any um, time, but yeah, I mean, just being able to do that fast enough and give it clean yeah. and professional—it's—it's uh, a—it's a lesson that I've learned to be able to 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 grow it. Yeah, and 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 so just dwelling on that a bit, um, for anyone who might not understand the enormity of what illustrations are, just speak about that because even for me. Um, for the first time, I'm getting to understand, oh, my God, the KIE books or whatever books we used to read had all these pictures that would mm. help you relate to the topic. Who was yeah. doing that? Who was doing that? <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you who was doing those by hand. Yeah, yeah. Just talk a, a bit about what illustrations, especially in related to Sailor Bay and Curricula. So basically, I mean, uh, I think all of us from a certain age who have done 844 will know Mr. Kamau because that's the <laughs> yeah. ref reference point. Yeah, and Peter. Yeah. Uh -huh. Please, don't tell me to do it. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't know Mr. Kamau. I also studied Mr. Kamau. Yeah. But that was yeah. an inspiration. And the bus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was an inspiration. Mm -hmm. Like, just seeing how well drawn those illustrations were. Mm -hmm. That was an inspiration. I remember um, one of the one, one of the best illustrators for for um, storybooks, um, Mr. Hast. I forget his name, first name. Um he did uh, the Kakasungura series. Mm. Uh, there was these books like um, Joha Kalulu. There's, you know, Franco Doi had comics, uh, which I remember growing up uh, looking at his comics and all that. All, all those, all those, and, and, you know, before you get to the cartoon side of Kinagado and Kina um, Mado. Mador and KJ, KJ was ahead of me in high school, so you know, there's we have a good bond in that. Um, 
before you get to that side, like the people who are doing the illustrations for books, because those those are the ones we all relate to Mr. Kamau. Why? Because there's a certain narrative, there's a way he made us understand whatever we were being taught. Mm-hmm. In fact, you probably remember him more than you remember the the articles and the stories. Maybe, yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe Mr. Kamau has a bus, the bus has done, I don't know what, but the character himself, yeah. you you never forget. So, and, you, and you visualize it, you can yes, see, you yes, can yeah. see Mr. Kamau. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is Mary, this is who, Miss this, yeah. John? Tom? Tom, Tom. Mm-hmm. Tom and Mary, yeah, I think Tom yeah. and Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. And Mr. Kamau's bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all remember the bus. The bus, the bus for bus, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the books, um, and, and feel free um, to, 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 to drop them in. What are some of the books that um, you really enjoyed illustrating during this period of time? Whoa. The books that I did when I was at uh, Oxford, I did IRE. IRE and CRE, and I really enjoyed that part when I was growing. Even Longhorn, I did CRE books for some reason, uh, considering I am a non-believer. I'm <laughs> uh, religious books landed on my knee, but I, I, I really enjoyed that. I've also done books very recently, uh, as recent as last year, and there's a storybook which has just been pu- published in the U.S. called Mze uh, Hekima. You know, it's just a kid's book, and that one, that one did it in the middle of COVID with a lot of uh, strange ongoings. That one, I think, is one of my favorites. I did, and that one was all computer illustri- uh, illustrated. Uh, it's just been published. In fact, I was told last week. It's just been come on Amazon. So, uh, yeah, that's a book. But even plug in and tell guys to look for the Hekima on Amazon. Uh, on Amazon, uh, it's written by a Kenyan in the U.S. and yeah, it's a nice story book uh, about a Kenyan context. You know, it teaches about Utu, Utu, the Swahili word. Yeah, um, what mm. ages? I think from about age five to twelve. Okay. Yeah, would be a good Hekima. Yeah, Hekima. Hey, mm. we'll definitely mm. check in for that. Yeah. Um, the, keep going. Yeah, that's that's something that I really enjoyed working on. Yeah. Mm. There's a review that was written not so long ago, yeah? So this is like two years ago. And it was Margareta Wakashero. Uh, we might know her from, uh, she writes reviews of not only visual art shows, but also plays, films, not so much films, but she's a buff for visual artist works. So she went on to write what she experienced at uh the one-off gallery in Roslyn, Nairobi, curated by, is it Tom? Tom Ogonga. Tom Ogonga and Jonathan Solanke. Mm. So after the whole thing, right before she closed off, she said, but possibly the most surprising works using the basic element of a simple line were aluminum wire sculptures by Ndeidi Karioki, a marketing manager by day. He does his artwork at night and on weekends. So out of this comes three questions at least. The first one is marketing. How did you get into that? Second one would be, I hope we remember, (laughs) we probably will, Maria is here with us. Are you still doing this now? And third, how do you get there 
from illustrating into the corporate world? I'll start with the the last question. Okay. I've always loved travel. I was always the one organizing trips. I would be the one instigating the crew. Let's take a trip to there's a long weekend coming. Let's go camping in Naivasha and it could be a conversation between three people hanging out and then we go with like we end up going like 20 30 people. I would be the one, you know, making the budget telling guys okay let's go to fisherman's let's go to uh, fishy go let's go to hippo camp in ivasha let's go to this other place and i'm talking when i was 19 20 so this is 97 98 you know 99 and we would organize trips once everyone has paid we would buy the food and because none of us had cars then we would uh, hire nissan if it's a long weekend we dash to town go take a number 23 Nissan you know one that has nice funky music and all that good vibes we drive down to Naivasha have a nice weekend and come back so i've always loved travel and even remember the first time i ever traveled out of the country I was probably 2021 one of those after now i've done a nice project i've been paid my last cash by either longhorn or one of the publishers kenya literature bureau and i have money and I had some paintings of mine in Uganda so I, did, I I just decided on a whim like this is like 10 a.m. in the morning like I'm going to Uganda in the evening so I passed by Akamba book a ticket go home drop my bag I tell my mom I'm going to UG in the evening he's like are you serious I'm like, yeah <laughs> let me just go see how this place looks like so yeah okay evening take a bus trip solo travel go stay in Uganda for five six days come back and, home and, and this is way before airbnb there's nothing like airbnb <laughs> or cg uber or i don't know what lift and yeah so this is just uh madness um around 2003 um i decided i wanted to get back into graphics so i went back to college uh it used to be called uh Academy of Printing Technologies it changed to Academy of Graphic Technologies uh, run by Cool Graphics the publishers and I just went for a refresher so that time I was going back to just being able to study like I was interested in just being able to be professional enough on the design and printing uh side because I'd not worked in any company on that side even though I could play with Photoshop and Illustrator and uh what was called adobe page maker dot back then mm. uh i could lay out stuff and all that i just needed a little confidence so i went back to school got a certificate and then i actively started looking for a job in in uh design and then in 2005 i was uh, lucky enough to get a job so this job coincidentally was in a hospitality company so I was a designer doing like you know the brochures the stationery the flyers the posters and all that stuff but as I stayed in the company I started seeing gaps company was very good but it was very sales driven and I could see opportunities uh where there's no marketing voice so I started taking more responsibility i remember one time we were sitting in my md's office and we were with um, 
somebody that I came to, you know, uh, partner with, and he he is one of my mentors. He was working in one of the publishing companies we were using at the time, and he had come to pitch for us just uh, new technologies and ways of printing stuff and all that. And because I had started traveling in the hotels that we owned, I could see like a difference in the quality of stationery that we have in the rooms and all around. And I'm a junior employee. I'm basically a year and something in the company, but I told the managers in the hotels, I do not want to ever see anything that's being printed in the hotels that has not passed through me. So they started now, they started running it by the procurement that make sure that Ndaithi has okayed this thing to go to print. Because I had seen like the difference in quality, you know, logos looking, colors were all over the place and all that. So I took this as a new added work and that's how first and foremost I grew into brand management because then I had to say in everything that was being put out there mm-hmm. and it was everything across the board. And also the company didn't have like a brand, a brand book. So basically anything could go. Back then, a manager would just decide, oh, we want to reprint, uh, I don't know what, stationery, the bar, the bar captain's order. So like when, when, the, when the waiter wants to order something, they write on the captain's order, they give it to the barman, and then the barman can now procure from the back of the bar. Mm. So they are able to keep tabs and say, this is what has been taken out of the fridge or the bar to be sold to the guests, yeah? So small things like those. I insisted that I wanted to make sure that they're all done the same way. And so I slowly took over all of that. And then even when digital came through, I remember when like Facebook came through, there was nothing like digital marketing. Yeah, it's such a new fad. But I remember opening like Facebook pages for the company using my Gmail. (laughs) And then back back then, uh, Facebook would not allow companies to have their own, their own, uh, pages, it, it it just came up after. So when the big brands, the, your Coca-Colas, your NBA teams, your uh, international airlines started doing it, is when now they allowed people to, companies to have brand pages. But it, we were having hell. Like um, we had to play with a company name in such a way that it sounded like two, two names, yeah. instead of having it as the full company name. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, slowly we opened pages for all the the brands in the company. And yeah, by the time people were coming to define things like uh, digital marketing, we were struggling with it. We were knee deep and all that. Um, And over time, you know, I I just sort of owned that voice for the company. Uh, I became the marketing person and um, you know, things like the word influencer is such a new newbie word. Those days, uh, it, it was media because it was either bloggers. So a lot of the like the big uh, influencers now, we, we started these journeys together. They had started blogging, they had started writing, and they had interesting followings, you know, things like on Twitter and their blogger, blogger pages or whatever. Uh, WordPress page, uh, website they were using to write their stuff. We were, I could see them. So I had started traveling with them and we were writing all these nice uh, reviews reviews and stuff. And it was putting our brands out there. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, we were way ahead of the curve when it came to that. So I, I had started creating this niche in the company that I was the go-to person when it comes to any any anything that matters brand brand and marketing yeah so i i just sort of owned it interesting was it a conscious decision for you to look for a job in a hospitality company given your interest in travel okay stars aligned stars aligned wow they just so aligned. great <laughs> serendipity yeah. so did you just apply to a bunch of companies no nope. um, how did it happen i told a friend that i was looking for a job and then i shared with them my cv my friend was working in an agency his boss knew my former boss my former boss was looking for a designer my name was given uh, he called me for an interview and we sat down and talked like the way we are talking like we talked like we were brothers it wasn't even an interview we were just chatting we mm. we sort of clicked and from my portfolio from i think my personality we clicked and so i was just i think that thing of the opportunity hitting when you're ready i yeah. it just came in at the right time yeah. and everything just gelled in and there's mm. history as i said yeah. fruits of a network for sure mm-hmm. um a curious question also around that time yeah um why do you think they they listen to you uh what traits uh, did you possess and maybe you still do as a well then as a junior employee that uh would you right now feel well because i was that i think that's why they listened to me <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i do not know because another uh, way to rephrase that would be uh if a young person was to approach you with all these different ideas what about them would remind you of you that would probably make you go yeah sure we'll do it that's what you think we should do yeah so what would they need to possess blind conviction blind conviction there's a way you can there's a way you can just articulate yourself because of a desire for something mm. that the person you're interacting with is sold on your conviction so you might be naive you might be not knowledgeable about that thing that you want but because you want it so badly and your intentions are pure then the person who is interacting with you is is willing to allow you to be and they even willing to allow you to grow and make your mistakes yeah and they will guide you because they can see what you're trying to do is you know it's coming from a good place yeah. i think Mm. Yeah, no, no that makes sense the audacity of youth the audacity of youth <laughs> yeah 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 do you think that that flame sort of dies at some point or do we do we put it off ourselves by by wanting to have all the necessary inputs and data um in order to put forth an argument or proposal yeah the the environment shapes you the environment shapes you and the environment determines how you your flame keeps well burning or not or not mm. uh, whether it goes out and um it's good to know when to to navigate so that you can keep your 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 dreams going because if you feel the environment you're in is not 
you know, if you feel that you're no longer going wherever you wanted to go, it's good to make a, a conscious decision and say, hey, boss, mm-hmm. it's been a while. It's about we, time. It's yeah. about time we do something different. Um, yeah, the environment really shapes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where you know things are no longer the same or mm-hmm. this is the right time to make a move or to grow or to change. Or yeah. That's why people go back to school. You know, that's why they try out new stuff. That's why they invest in a different direction. Yeah. yeah. And, and and during your time, this is at Heritage, right? Um, obviously, you're an artist. And from my assessment, artists thrive a lot and uh, with some sort of freedom to explore. Mm. I, mean, I mean, everyone could use some creativity, whether you're an artist or not. But I feel like artists need that room to create. And, and we know that a lot of organizations are notorious for not allowing you that freedom. So how, how do you, how, how did you manage to either um, create as much as possible within a maybe restrictive um, sort of professional setting or not? How do you manage um, um, to either conform or not, but, but still keep thriving? I don't know if that um, uh, sort of makes sense. Interestingly enough, in my artistic journey, I went into uh, seven eight-year period where I never painted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From 2003, I never painted until 2010. Wow. And part of it was uh, also environment. Um, You remember, if we go back, I did get into the illustrating side of things. Mm -hmm. Then 2003, I got back into graphics. And then the graphic side uh, and publishing, uh, the design side sort of took uh, part of its own. And then when I moved out of home, the space that I went into, I did not have a big enough house to have a studio, uh, have a studio and space to work in properly. And uh, then came family life, marriage, what, and then again another space which was not the most conducive. So. It wasn't until I moved into a big enough space where I had a space that I could work in that I started painting. And um, I was employed at that time. So I had already worked for five years when I moved into a space which now I could create art uh, freely. Employment was not, well, it's it's been a balance. I've, I keep calling, when I, whenever I call myself a multi-dimensional artist, it's, I, I still see the graphic side as part of art. So I was not really denied the opportunity to work. I was just working in one side of things. Mm-hmm. But I was growing also from the graphics into the communication. So, you know, when 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 you start getting into marketing, when you start getting into um, the whys of why you have to do this design a certain type of way and who you have to target and all that and the language you have to use and putting it out with you know different communications and um, coming up with blogs and content creation and all that you start getting into marketing and you know uh, I mean and into communications but when I started painting now I had weekends and evenings and it's not once or twice when would come home from work I was living 35 odd kilometers out of Nairobi so get home unwind have dinner, do whatever. Kids have gone to sleep. I go back into the studio, three hours, 
uh, I go to bed, we wake up in the morning and people come see, I have done like a massive painting, like between when we had dinner and I went to bed, I've done this huge painting. And in the morning when I come to look at it, it's when I'm like, I did that. Mm-hmm. And it's not once or twice when, it, even for me, it used to blow me away that I could do that in an evening because I think art, art is a very, when you're doing, when you're really getting into a creative space, you're, you're in an other sphere. Like you, you cannot, you cannot understand it yourself. I had to do a blog. Um, in fact, the first painting, that first painting that I did, uh, I'll share a link with you. I had to take pictures of it as I was progressing because I needed to understand that creative process. Like what goes on in the mind? I, I I would do the background, put it a certain color, come look at it, change it, you know. And by documenting that in a blog, because then I think I, I didn't have a digital camera to do the video, but I still took pictures. I could also come and look at it like as an outsider and see, okay, what goes on in, what's this madness that these guys have? So me, I'm looking at it from an, and otherness and I'm like, what 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 are we doing in this thing? Because yeah, I could I could paint a huge piece in a couple of hours and finish it. Because also over time as you as an artist, when you when you get good in your craft, then you can work fast. The first painting that I ever did took me a month to finish. And now you're doing paintings in hours, in hours, in three hours, mm. in between um, driving or whatever, 35 kilometers. DJing. DJing. <laughs> <laughs> Being a parent. Being, Being a, a parent. Husband. Yeah. husband. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Uh, so how long, if, uh, so b- because the other part of a question was, are you still doing this now? So how long did you have to keep up with this or are you still on it? I am doing very many things. So now I'm full time. I'm full time in art. I'm also sculpting. Like between the time we met and now, in the last two weeks, last week I was uh, learning something new, um, sculpting with uh, metal sheets. So there's a portrait I'm doing. You love this of Wangari Madai. We didn't see that coming. I I I will never get enough of. I'll 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 only stop Wangari Madai on a, when I get a chance to do a big outdoor sculpture of that lady. I think she's very inspiring. Um, I love her spirit. Um, I, I I celebrate what her spirit has shown us as humans what she's left us left us with and until i'm able to give a a proper celebration i will not stop doing hey. small, but the, what Keep i'm going, working on man. is still wow. it's a small piece so yeah um i'm still learning um it's another joy about life like just keeping on learning and doing new stuff the workshop we did we learned different like four or five different techniques in a week uh last week i was learning something different uh, so I'm I'm going to finish up that piece in the next couple of days, and I'll share it. I share with you. Please do, man. Um, I hope to be able to replicate it into a bigger scale. And I am working full time um, as an artist. So I'm still producing. I'm still painting. I'm still drawing. I am also doing my graphics. So I've been doing uh, crafts, which I'm selling in 
some of the publishing, uh, some of the stationery shops, bookmarks, cards, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, getting into teaching. Uh, weirdly, uh, that passion in my history that I was talking about earlier, I have been teaching uh, kids in the US about history and uh, looking at it from a global perspective. And some things I never knew I'd ever get to do. Uh, I'm <laughs> being born, man. Yeah. Um, humbled. I'm humbled. Even last week, when I mean, two weeks ago when we were in that workshop, I found myself teaching because when, when we were talking about um, artists learning to put their themselves out there. Um, I've worked in brand and digital marketing and, uh, you know, how how to create brands and how to put your brand out there is, you know, some of the things that I've worked, worked with and worked in and perfected over time and still learning. Um, so I found myself teaching even the, the younger kids, who, you know, the, the college the yeah. college yeah mm-hmm. students who were with brand. us in that yeah how to put their create their brands and not just the college students because we had older artists who were struggling they this this um online space is too much for them and uh, martin will, will will attest to that they were struggling they could uh, no, no 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 i can't be on instagram <laughs> it's my daughter who has put my art on instagram i don't even know what to do on instagram you know yeah. like I am still pushing travel. Um, I curate travel, so I'm not an agent. I'm not employed in any, you know, uh, company for that. But I curate travel. I still, I'm very passionate about uh, destination marketing. In fact, I keep saying if there's one line of employment I wouldn't mind getting back into, it would either be destination marketing or uh, human development. Uh, those are two things that I feel very strongly about. Uh, just being able to give back. Um, I'm at an age and a space where being able to do good is much more fulfilling than wealth and you know material stuff. Mm, yeah. uh, being able to impart and leave a legacy is much more import- important yeah. than... than, than Yes, it's still around the same. At what point do you decide now it's time to step away from employment and and, and doing uh, brand building for this hospitality yeah. company? And, and what are the triggers for that? One thing that you learn over time when you stay in a place for too long, um, it's a circle, it's a cycle of life. You can hit a glass ceiling. Uh, the environment changes. Things will never be constant. Human beings grow, they change. Others move, new others come in, and the space becomes different for you. And you, you need a new, you need a new impetus to wake up and enjoy the stuff that you're doing. Um, also, when you become uh, used to doing the same stuff over and over, it becomes um, mundane, and you don't feel the same joy doing it. So. You want you want new things. So new for challenges. me, yeah, for me, it got to a point. I stayed in the same company for fourteen years. So yes, yeah. So I needed something new, and I am happy with the space that I'm in right now. 
it's, you know, I've gone back to where I was before I joined. I'm in a creative space. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm exploring a lot more. I'm in charge of a lot more. And it's funny how when you don't have to wake up to drive into an office somewhere like I was 35 kilometers out of Nairobi. So you can imagine the commute, drop kids, school, dash to the office, have a full day in the office, pick kids, another commute home. That commute time, when you're not commuting and you wake up and do your stuff, you get a lot more done. You, you're you sort of in charge of your, you, you can see your 24 hours nicely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you miss it? Because 14 years is a long time. It's a freaking long time, man. Do I, I, what I like about the employment space is the different energy. Um, it's good and bad. There's a professional, there's a professionalism that you get in employment, which is a good stuff. Uh, if you're, if you're driven, you get a lot more done. Um, I'm a really early morning person, so. I'm at joy being in the office anytime between five and six thirty. I like that quiet time. Um, the extrovert in me now enjoys that. So I can be in the office when it's quiet. I can do a lot more. I can plan my day. I can schedule. I can, you know, if it's work that needs to be done, which is creative pricing or whatever, I'll get it out of the way. By the time other people are coming and there's a lot of traffic and noise and distractions, my juices are good. That's when I can go for the second or third cup of strong coffee. Mm-hmm. Then we can chat. And then I'm ready for my lunch at 10 or 11 because I've already had a half day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Technically lunchtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lunchtime. So, yeah. And yeah, it's got a different vibe to it. Then you connect to um, different sets of professions. And they have different, um, you know, like when you're dealing with people in corporate spaces, you will have to be different from how, like now I walk into a fellow artist studio, or how we are interacting and all that is very different. Um, so I, yeah, it's a balance. Yeah, The regular paycheck is not a bad thing, <laughs> but it can spoil you. Um, yeah, but I, I, I love the space I'm in. It's like heroin though. It's addictive. Mm. Huh? Yeah, it is, but it can also make you lazy. Yeah, I know that I know what heroin looks like. Huh? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. no, addictive it is. Wanted to comment, but <laughs> it is well. Mm. Okay. Um, in a couple of questions, we will be um, dancing into the more personal uh, questions with your life and choices and all. Uh, but before that, maybe just talk about the the space of the feminine energy within the creative space particularly visual artists yeah so if i was to read a couple of your peers i'd say they'd include uh patrick mukabi tom peterson kamwadi the soys of this world but we barely hear any outstanding female visual artists yeah yet yet there are uh for instance i do know of the the lady who did the the met gala Wangeshimoto. There you go. Yeah. So she's among the few that we've heard of of like exp- except, uh, exceptional female fine artists or other. Um and a father, this is yourself, uh, who's raising two young girls, do you what would you attribute the lack thereof of this 
what's the word? What's the word? There's uh, there's a word for it. Spotlighting. Yeah, spotlighting the female energy within the visual arts. I, I have to start by correcting you. There's quite a number of um, exceptional female artists in the country. There is um, Beatrice. There is Florence Wangoi. There is uh, there's Maggie. There is Mary Ogembo. Um, quite a number of them, uh, sculptors, uh, painters, photographers. You know, you have people like um, Barbara Minishi, awesome photographer, who have had the privilege of working with over the years of us uh, in heritage. The very many, I think, what is happening is uh, they've maybe they've not been as uh, aggressive in in how they put their names out there, but. Their work is there. I think it's only that the Kenyan art uh, scene is still uh, it's still not as mature as one would want. So it, it's not grown to the biggest sec- uh, bit of society where a lot more people know about it. You know, like the art scene is not like um, what you'd see trending online because, you know, the people who you see making things trend online are also not open enough to know about the art scene. Uh, they they know all the uh, pubs and fashion and yeah. you know, fads and stuff like that, but they're not open enough to see what happens in the creative space. So um, there are quite a number of artists. If you look at some of the bigger galleries, uh, one of represents quite a number of female artists. Uh, if you look at the Circle Art Agency, if you visit places like Kwana Trust, quite a number of artists working from there, and they are not just they're not just uh, visual. There's some who are doing or some work with uh, leather products. Uh, there's some who are sculpting. So yeah, it's it's all over the place. Even at uh, at uh, the Godown itself, uh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's I think it's I think maybe the the media space which has not you know put their names out there for a bigger audience it's maybe a bit of the education I was having this conversation earlier before I came here about the society locally not knowing about not having this art appreciation as part of their element, uh, elementary learning in in school uh, in uni where people don't know about just appreciating the arts you know theater music Amen. yeah yeah music i find it strange like even the the high school that i went with we were almost 180 people who came out of it uh in form four yet i can go for a koroga or i can go for a concert and not meet people that i was in school with because of how few of them appreciate that type of art yeah you know, I find it very strange. I love, I love my music, and my kids are, are lucky enough that we've tagged them along. So my kids have seen Kofi live. They've seen um, Papa Wemba. They've seen, you know, some of these greats uh, live, and they have grown up appreciating that whole spectrum of the arts. You know. My wife and I are very artsy. So when I'm telling you I'm creating uh, stationery, my kids are part of it. 
my, we we sign our stationery as the shoulder family so all of them are part of it you know like yeah. you'll go pick up a card at textbook center and you'll see shoulder family it's all of us putting our creative uh inputs into it and i like that so until we can get a society where a bigger broader part of us when i tell you that there's an art exhibition and you come with your spouse you come with your friend and you come see what's happening in that space you grow into it you start wanting to collect art you see oh this is too expensive for me but maybe if i save up i can buy it the same way you want to buy that 60 inch uh, tv tv it's the same way you just collect something that's valuable and that speaks to your soul in a different type of way yeah interesting mm-hmm. um Do, do you reckon that maybe and I could be wrong but maybe there's a relationship between um economic or financial or even to some extent the aspirational aspects of the society and how they relate or consume art true yeah there is there is definitely um unfortunately again conversation I was having earlier how many people go to the national theater for a play or for uh less than 2% of Nairobi you know uh french cultural center for a play or there are places um you it, 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 the play is being put up in the evening that's the same time you have to queue for your buroma 3 or for your kikuyo ma 3 you know that queue has What gone around the archives to walk home yeah so uh let, let, talk about the person who can spend yeah there's somebody who might have cash but that's when they they need to queue around archives for their mother to go home so they don't have time to come from jobo hustle from the long day of hustle and then go to the theater and part of it is maybe you didn't even grow appreciating it and also you just don't have the disposable income yeah so you know it's a bit of both Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it's up to us who, you know, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Yeah. You know, uh, you know to change that, right? Um so if it's in terms of, you know, like what you're doing and maybe this is the right segue into into the personal. Um how uh, for instance you raise your kids and taking them to concerts maybe. Um, you know when when they grow up, um maybe um, regardless of even um sort of their where they are financially or even um whatever then they'll they'll appreciate art more yeah. because that's how they you know grew up yeah okay okay um so my next question is going to go in uh, the opposite direction yeah and by the opposite direction i mean uh, building off something you'd mentioned before um the irony of illustrating uh, religious textbooks hmm. yet uh, you said you you this was not your grounding hmm. so let's talk about that if you're willing to go in that direction um let's talk matters faith hmm. or how you look at the energy that brought us here or is resp- responsible for our living yeah uh what's what's that like what's the conversation with you and religion or spirituality i don't know how to put that into context uh or how to explain it but yeah. i don't believe in ghosts i don't believe in the devil i don't believe in higher beings in you know what people worship 
but I respect people's wish uh, beliefs. Okay. And I I never try to change anyone's thoughts. I never try to get into those fights about, you know, belittling or uh, or you know, mine is superior or yours is superior and any of that stuff. Yeah. I just live and let live. Okay. I let people have their beliefs. I was brought up in church. I made my own convictions and I live by them. My kids have started going to church. Um, you know, I allow them to explore that and make their chat their own paths. I never ever ever want to influence them to make or follow my convictions. I think as a human being we all have our own paths to follow. So, you know, what is mine is mine alone as Ndethi. Yeah. We don't share it even with my spouse, we don't share it uh when it comes to that which is me, which makes me me. Uh, yeah. When I die, I'll die as me, as an individual. My legacy will be mine, or whether I'll have one or not, it will be mine. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, okay. That's pretty powerful. Uh, and uh, the moment you've mentioned your spouse, I was curious how that goes, and in some way you've answered it as well. Uh, well if you're cool with it, Pia, um, how, how did she get into your how did your paths meet and what did she think of you when you met be it when you're an illustrator i'm a just as an artist i'm a whoever you are at that moment you you met um <laughs> we met in a very interesting way we we met in a house party and um, one of my friends close friends was having a party and the girl who was um into him or who they were having a thing with happened to be uh, my wife's close pal. So we're in a house party and then, you know, these two need to have their own talk and uh, people are seated outside in the house, you know, we're interacting and all that. Then the four of us happen to be inside the house and it's just the four of us. And then my wife's pal wants to have a quiet conversation with this guy, my pal. So she tells, she, in, in a way to kick us out of the house, she tells us, oh, you and you, you're both artists. You have a lot in common. You have a lot to talk about. Can you just show off and get out of here? We need our own space. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we've been talking for the last, I think, almost 18 years. <laughs> we still have a lot in common. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we met in a, Nice, nice kind of way. We were being kicked out of our space, but yeah, we're still we're still together. Hey, well, yeah. what, what's what's the trick to keeping it going all these years? Fourteen years. Ah, uh, whoa! <laughs> I do not know that. Tolerance, patience, um, patience, and 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 respect. Um, we are different. We are all different. We come in with our own um, nuances. You're brought up in a different house, knowing life in a very different way. And when you meet a different human being, you have to sort of learn to compromise and to learn to live with them. And even as you um, 
moving together and stay together, you're also changing, you're also growing. So you have to learn how to compromise. You have to learn how to listen and, um, you know, taking a lot of time, uh, even as you put your thoughts and your plans and your ideas out there, you know, when you're sharing with your spouse, you also have to learn how to listen a lot. So compromise is a very key thing. Yeah. yeah. And friendship and just keeping, consciously keeping the friendship going. Yeah. It's one of the biggest things. Consciously keeping consciously, the friendship going. Consciously. That's it has powerful. to be a deliberate effort. Yeah. Very deliberate. Yeah. yeah. Earlier on, before we started recording, we, we'd also started touching a bit on the parenting styles. Mm. You are a father to two daughters. Yeah. Yeah. What's been your parenting ethos? Um, and, and I know that is a very broad question mm. um, and, and feel, you know, feel free to tackle it in um, whatever way. Um, I am a very, Maria called it what? Ambivert? Nice, Ambivert. big, 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 whatever English mm-hmm. word. So I like, um, I like having my space and I also like immersing. So whenever I'm able to, I let my kids have, they, they, they are welcome into my space. I will try and give them as much of me as I can when I can. I wish I could do more. Um, as a parent, I don't know whether it's ever enough, but I wish I could do more for my kids. Because having having grown up as a, as a creative, I feel that, and with whatever little exposure that I have, I feel that there's a lot more I'd like to expose them to, which I have not been able to. I wish I could do more, and especially on the artsy side, because I think being able to open up somebody's potential, whether it's um, whether it's uh, creative writing, whether it's poetry, whether it's uh, music, uh, whether it's uh, playing an instrument, uh, whichever way possible, swimming, you know, whichever sport. I wish I could do more, a lot more. Um, also traveling with them. Um, that is one side of me that I'd love to have been able to share more with my kids. Like if I had it my way, I would pick, I would pick them up from school on a Friday, go camping somewhere, go on a trip and come back uh, Sunday or Monday morning and go back to school. Like, I would love to have that adventurous side of uh, stuff with mm-hmm. my kids. I've not been able to. Uh, I have been lucky to give them um, a better life than I had, but I'd like to do more. Yeah, yeah. And 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 speaking of which, um, what are some of the lessons um, you already mentioned a bit about your um, how supportive your mother was, especially in your art? Uh, but uh, I'm I'm curious, even before the passing on of your father, of your dad. What are some of the lessons that they imparted in you that you've also maybe consciously or even unconsciously, but in retrospect, passed on um, to your daughters? One big thing about my father was family. I've grown up knowing, I think I know more than 50, maybe close to 100 cousins. Uh, So when I say that I'm talking about my father's knowing my father's cousins, knowing my father's aunties, 
knowing my mother's aunties and knowing her first cousins and second or whatever and, you know and then knowing their kids and having that relationship with them up to now where i can call on 30 cousins if need be if i have an emergency or if something has happened right now in the family i can tap into a network of family and because of how old i am and where we are we are the ones who now pass information across and uh, i am the one who's looked upon on one side of the family to do a lot of that and i keep trying to sort of pass the same to my kids so that they are also close with their immediate cousins and hopefully even for them they'll be able to uh put that across yeah and secondly it's about uh, responsibility um my mom made sure that we were not slouching i okay started washing my uniform when i was a lot younger you know i could cook when i was a bit younger um i looked after my sis my mom would leave the country mm. and it's just me and my sis my sis was still in school i'm the second born and my bro was out of the country my mom was comfortable enough living with my sis so i've looked after my sister who's 6 years younger th- than me as her father so there's that bit of um responsibility for sure which came especially for me at a very young age because now my father passing on when i was that young pre-adult meant that i had to sort of grow up really grow up quick yeah and for my kids we've been able to pass on that responsibility my kids can cook like comfortably cook very yeah. many different meals yeah and from when they were slightly younger 6 7 you know and i'm happy happy about that uh especially from my mom um mm. something that i've been able to my wife and i have been able to impart that's beautiful maze um so life with your dad yeah life with your parents in general life around artistic communes life around uh the corporate side but also life enjoying different history figures who happen to be african and different uh, figures in the music industry whom you've been fans of if you're to sit down and have dinner with two people from all these different circles dead or alive who would you choose to sit down and have a chat with you masekela very inspiring very funny um went through a lot you know exiled when he was young lived in very many different countries at some point married makeba this plate he came to nigeria lived under uh felakuti's uh wings um he's he's got a very rich history and uh he's somebody who's like personality I would enjoy tapping into I think he's a, an awesome human being um who else in history um I wouldn't do a cliche it would, it, it would never be like a Mandela yeah. that would be too cliche um what else I probably want to meet somebody like Samora Marshall um you know a teacher who saw an opportunity to to change his country and did something about it or sankara sankara was way ahead of his time oh he was and for a young man 
in his early 20s very way ahead and yeah mm. yeah somebody would have loved to share an afternoon with yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic yeah. And, and and who or what do you currently and you mentioned a bit about changing um how you look at life your perspective of life so who or what do you currently look at and and say that's successful that is success for me success is achieving your goals and if you wake up with a list of all the things you'd like to take and have done them um it's not monetary maybe like i'll give you a simple example before i left corporate um, i i i got very immersed in csr and in that period i was able to to work with other like-minded organizations and we did small things so for i'll give you an example we had a school in the masai mara near two of our camps which we managed to have uh, a, a girls dormitory built in 3 months in 2019 and the last time i talked 3 weeks ago i talked to the chairman of the pta and he told me they did very well in kcp this last exam and the dormitory was for girls but even boys were able to gain from that because now they're not skipping through wildlife infested areas to go back and forth from school they were sleeping in the school that that for me being able to touch human beings in that kind of way which is part of the reason why i'm talking about working in human development has much more uh joy than monetary stuff so for me that is success being able to give something back where a community is left touched in a way that you cannot do with you know mm. uh, it's it's a bigger success for me and that's a kind of stuff that i'd like to do with the rest of my life just legacy stuff yeah yeah fantastic and all the best with that maze yeah. you're definitely getting there yeah any book books that you've read read and um would gift to someone um and and you reckon that they get a lot of value from reading that book i loved strangely enough i loved uh, boniface mongis unbound and it boils down to the human spirit mm. which is something which resonates with me all the time if you look at his journey and it's strangely enough we grew one road apart juja road like probably if i came out 50 yards from my house and threw a stone i could it could land like you know close to where he grew up but where he is as a human being is so far and it's that trajectory it's not a fat or nini book that i'd like to talk about but it's it's just talks to me about the human spirit mm-hmm. yeah that's clearly a through line in your interest for sure um all this greats that we've spoken of uh including boni imagine them on a podium and uh they are addressing a crowd could be billions but mostly africans 
or more or less you have this platform to talk to Africans in this moment or even those after us and you didn't get to speak all you have is a t-shirt and on this t-shirt is a quote or something you'd like to tell them what would these words be if you live life well once is good enough fantastic wow great fantastic yeah um, mabuyu kashata growing up you grew up in juja road eh? yeah Mabuyu Kashata all of them all of them yeah. um Mungari versus Moroza uh, <laughs> thing what Mufarama tire Mufarama tire full tire just... yeah Mungari Mungari yeah, yeah. yeah. full tire is too much work full tire mabano bano bano okay. no okay. but actually played all but Chobua Yeah <laughs> all of that man I was in four <laughs> primary schools so I went through all of it yeah <laughs> okay. am I your pet person Uh no I've, we've only ever in my life I've only ever had a pet once and it was very recent ah, a dog okay. or a cat dog okay mm. hey, salut mm. salut mm. wow man asante sana that was powerful shukran that was quite a conversation we've had uh, super super honored to have had you with us for the chat no thank you for the honor and where can people find you your work online um my instagram ndaithi karaoke my facebook page ndaithi karaoke studio um working on getting my website up um hopefully when it is up it should link up it should be i mean the links will be available on both of those hands okay, instagram ndaithi karaoke and facebook ndaithi karaoke studio yeah Thank you very much Maze. Thank you so much for making time. We are honored like uh, you're going to hear said. And more importantly, we've learned a bunch from your lessons uh, through life and I'm sure that even our audiences will pick up a few things that will be useful um, in their day-to-day lives. I mean the multiple iterations are absolutely phenomenal and very inspiring. Thank you. Um, and we wish you all the best. Mm-hmm. We wish you growth and um, you know especially in on this other side after the corporate world we want to see more of your work you will be seeing a lot of more of my work i'm hoping to get into public uh, art so Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. you will yeah. definitely see yeah, yeah. when we have the busy bing bond studio yeah. or even here at our studio here oh yeah you need artworks we, we do artworks. even in our homes even in our homes i'd like to own and the karaoke piece yeah. Yeah, yeah it's happening talk to the artist hey, <laughs> hey it is happening asante sana and for you who's listening asante sana for working with us you know we got you the guests and this guests live lives to share and like he said once is good enough so take your lessons you can't live so many times right yeah, if uh, you live well then once is good enough perfect mm, was yeah. eh? you know where to find us on instagram and twitter we are at two uh, at busy being born underscore, underscore. yeah <laughs> <laughs> the change happened uh-huh. and on facebook we are at the busy being born podcast but on instagram twitter like you said we are at uh, busy being born underscore underscore uh, very soon uh, one of the things we're doing is launching our website so it's coming. be on the lookout for that it's coming um, you can start typing on your browser busybeingborn.africa um where we will have um everything including all our episodes um the show notes and even um some of our writings and musings oh it is definitely happening super excited for that uh i have been your at least one half of the guests uh, uh, what are we doing hosting yes kigodu <laughs> and um commander <laughs> and you know what we say if you're not busy being born then you're probably busy not living hey so stay busy being born peace peace Yeah, what? What? 
It is well. Hapo Thank you for listening to our podcast. Do look out for more from us. For now, Kwaheri.